Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast extension of ROI Show 515. Our guest for today is Dr. Tim Maudlin, Professor of Philosophy at New York University. We're going to be talking about a debate over the physics of time. Our history buffs are Brett Bernard and Rick Sweet. Rick, start us off. Tim, you mentioned in the broadcast portion about the, uh, the uh, debate on the physics of time, the argument and you also mentioned that you consider time foundational. I wonder, what is the source of the argument between common sense that time clicks forward and the the theory that, uh, like, for example, reversibility and what have you, uh, that is like it's anti-intuitive. It's, it's something that uh, we've never witnessed. So why is that argument out there? Well, as I mentioned in the in the in the podcast, the, if you just look at the equations that we use for what we think of as the foundational principles of physics, they do have this feature that, as it were, anything that can happen uh, in 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 one direction, uh, the it can happen with things reversed. And then that kind of raises the question, but why are there so many things that we actually see only happening in one direction? Now, I think there's a kind of a a weird issue in that question itself, because there are lots of things we know are physically possible that never happen. Like, I know it's physically possible for me to win the lottery, but gee, it never happens. Why is that? And you might say, well, that's a strange question, you know. There are lots of things physically possible that never happen, and you don't often think there's necessarily a big puzzle there. Um, That's where I think notions of entropy really are important to understand. It's like asking, uh, in in the usual old example, you have a monkey typing on a typewriter, and you say, well, physics isn't going to stop that monkey from typing Hamlet. Um, So why don't monkeys ever type Hamlet? And, and you say, well, sure, it's physically possible, just randomly pecking at the keys. But when you think of the number of different ways you can randomly peck at the keys, and only one of them leads to Hamlet, maybe it shouldn't surprise you that if you're just doing it randomly, you never get that one. Um, and that's more or less what the kind of uh, uh, appeals to entropy are, are doing to explain why, in many cases, we see these uh, time asymmetries, even though the underlying equations are not time asymmetric in that way. So we are embracing the wonderful world of infinities. Well, yeah, it, or of probabilities. I mean, in a way, when you get to entropy, and this is an interesting thing, the underlying equations of physics typically that are used are deterministic. And so given the state at one time, the laws deter- you know, are fix what the state will be and was. But in everyday life, we all the time use uh, notions of chance and probability. And entropy really ties into notions of chance, of how likely things are and what's to be expected and unexpected, even though anything could happen. And... Uh, and there are very interesting questions there about how to, how to understand notions of probability and likelihood. Okay, Brett. So if I am trying to confuse my friends with optimal effectiveness talking about time, 
what what theory should I throw out <laughs> to confuddle them that that will most confuse and confuddle them and make me sound really smart when we're sitting around having wings at the bar. <laughs> Oh man, the, the, there's so many choices. <laughs> I mean, I think actually the two-dimensional time one will do you pretty well. Just, just let let people kind of contemplate. What if time were two-dimensional, and then that'll blow their minds? I mean, I have no idea what in the world that means. <laughs> we talked about that one. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to say if someone says, you know, time is an illusion and nothing really changes. I, I, how can you be more? make a more bizarre claim than that. Um, uh, although, although Parmenides already did it, you know, before Socrates. Um, but the idea that, that and, and people will say this all the time, that, that the passage of time and change is an illusion, that everything is really static. And you, what, what in the world could that mean? I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm getting older all the time. Um, so I, don't, I really don't know what to say about that. Um, it seems to me that everything that departs from common sense on at least the basis of the direction of time and the dimensionality of time is pretty mind-blowing, and I think also there's not a speck of evidence in favor of it. Well, and I, I do have an underlying reason to ask this. I'm friends with someone who has his uh, Ph.D. in physics uh, mm-hmm. and uh, always love a good humanities versus STEM argument so i'm I'm just looking for the best way to get under his skin there you go <laughs> well uh, yeah the, i mean and and one does have to be careful here the the, the sad thing about physics and there's a there's a long historical reason for this that goes back to quantum mechanics is that the kinds of discussions we've been having which are very foundational questions not technical questions have kind of been driven out of physics as a discipline. Um, um, physicists, like, you know, talk about this stuff over, over their beers, like everybody else does. But there's not really a, a good official physics training in foundational issues anymore. So, uh, you know, they're, they're not really physicists, even though they like to think they know everything, Sometimes there are issues in physics they haven't ever been taught or really rigorously uh, uh, has, has been presented to them. And so they're just kind of floundering around like everybody else. <laughs> Do it, doing the job, right? Crunching yeah. the numbers and right, doing the job and doing the next yeah. thing. Right. Um, Tim, I, I read a, a, a interview that you had and you used the metaphor of uh, what what time does is is sort of create a machinery of some kind that that sort of is churning out moment by moment by moment moving mm-hmm. in a direction and I love that metaphor um, and and then you you talked about how that then applies to the the very laws of physics themselves I'm interested mm-hmm. if you could talk to us a little bit more about that because I thought that was pretty cool. Well, yeah, so the idea is, as I say, it, it, space doesn't have a direction, right? The, the, the country does no more runs from the East Coast to the West Coast as it does from the West Coast to the East Coast, right? There are two spatial directions, but um, they're not intrinsically of a different character. And time, we think, is different, and, we, and that underlies 
all our thoughts about causation, about, you know, fearing the future, about, you know, don't cry over spilled milk, right? I mean, be careful not to spill your milk in the next minute, but don't cry over spilled milk um, (laughs) because it's in the past. And so what happens is the laws of physics themselves need a space-time structure. Uh, The laws of physics, the fundamental laws, are written down in terms of a space-time structure. And the way they're used, time does have a direction. Often physicists sort of miss this because the way we put the direction of time into the representation is by a convention, which is that um, as time goes forward, the, the T number gets bigger, right? Which is generally true. It's not true when we're sending off rockets, right? When, when, we, when we're counting down to a rocket launch, the numbers go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, rather than, you know, when we're normally counting up, uh, you know, when you're when you're playing uh, 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 hide-and-seek, you know. Um, And so because you've got this directionality to the numbers themselves, that is, they're positive and negative numbers, that directionality is used just implicitly to represent the direction of time. Um, And so the way we understand the world is in this successiveness, this unfolding Right of things arising out of other things, and I think that is built into in, in, into physics because it's part of time, and it's built in by a direction of time. Um, yeah. Okay, so I have to ask one last question then, as a science fiction buff, um, I'm starting to feel very nervous about my idea of time travel, and particularly <laughs> all of the fun that comes from traveling backwards into time and altering the timeline and and you know there have been more books than i can than are there are grains on, uh, of sand on on the beach written about all of that sort of thing are you telling me that that all of that is has turned out to be uh, untrue and, <laughs> and 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 that i've i've just been deluding myself all this time I have, I'm telling you precisely that, yes. <laughs> um, I do not think time travel is consistent with the nature of time itself. Um, and, but but, but let, me, let, me, let me save the books for a second. There's a very interesting question, which is a perfectly good question, about how things might have been, right? Well, what if this had happened rather than that? So these are things we call counterfactuals. And that's a good question, and people ask it all the time, right? What if, what if I, and there are movies, right, Sliding Doors right. Or, or Run, Low, or Run, or, um, well, what if this had happened than that? And none of that requires backwards, going backward in time. It's just playing out different stories forward in time, but where they differ a little bit. And that's a nice thing to think about, right, and to understand how contingent our lives are and how many things that happen to us are just matters of chance. And I think what these going backward in time and, quote, changing the past, that's physically impossible, but it's a nice conceit to allow you to think about the contingency and to think about what depended on what and how much that happens to us is things we could not foresee and had no control over in that sense. I think that's, you know, that's a healthy thing to think about. Okay, so Rick is chomping over here at the bit to ask one last question. So this is our last question. So, so this is our last, last question this as is opposed the, yeah, to, uh, our, like, to the sort know. of last question. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> right. I don't know if we have time because he has a lunch date. But, uh, right, well, and, Tim, and we Tim, do too. So. Tim, we've been talking, uh, uh, to me, Newtonian physics. Einstein was talking about time dilation, uh, 
due to relativity, the velocity of the uh, of the whatever object uh, relative yes. to the the position of the observer. Uh, does that change, uh, particularly like black holes, you know, going uh, near uh, large gravity sources? Does that mm-hmm. change the arrow of time? So, no. And and uh, well said. I, I should say <laughs> I, I, I should say that, that that the picture of time structure in relativity is different than in Newton, and it's an interesting change. Um, but one thing that does not change between relativity and Newton is that there's a direction of time. The, 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 in fact, physicists, when they, when they deal with general relativity, just make it a, a, a condition that the thing be so-called temporally orientable, which means there's always a, a good direction of time. Sure. So that doesn't change. And I should say just very quickly, because I often say this, in relativity, if, if this time dilation stuff, all of that talk is also kind of misleading. The way to think about it is that unlike in Newton, in relativity, clocks are like odometers. So what a clock is doing is, is measuring the amount of something called proper time along its path. And the fact that uh, clocks that start out uh, synchronized could then separate and come back and not be synchronized is no more puzzling that two cars could start with their odometers synchronized and go on a trip and get back together and then they're not synchronized because one went along the freeway and one went along the, you know, the little back roads because they took different paths and those paths had different lengths. That's really all that's going on there. It's very interesting, but it's not as puzzling as it might sound. All right. Well, we could do this forever, but unfortunately, <laughs> we have to draw a close. Uh, we want to thank our guests for this 515th show, Dr. Tim Modlin, Professor of Philosophy at New York University. We've been talking about a debate over the physics of time. Our history buffs for today were Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.